0: This is the Fox News Rundown Extra. I'm Dave Anthony. Today, the horror of war. Something Senator Steve Daines got to see for himself with his own eyes a few weeks ago. When the Republican from Montana became the first U.S. senator to visit Ukraine since Russia invaded back in February. And what he saw, he can't unsee. Danes went to areas outside the capital, Kiev, that Russian troops had raided and ransacked, bombing buildings and homes and killing Ukrainian civilians. And as you'll hear, he got to witness some awful things. Now, our conversation the other day was too long to include all of it in the Rundown podcast, so we're giving you the whole thing here today in this extra. Thank you, as always, for listening. Please, please come back for more. And now Republican Senator Steve Daines on the Fox News Rundown Extra. Joining us on the Fox News Rundown is Senator Steve Daines, a Republican from Montana who a few weeks ago was the first U.S. senator, to go to Ukraine in the middle of the ongoing war with Russia, which is continuing to invade Ukraine, especially now in the eastern part of the country. Senator, thank you very much for your time. Hey,
1: glad to be with you, Dave.
0: So you, of course, being the first to go there, it had to be an experience just seeing this devastation for yourself, your own eyes.
1: Well, Dave what i saw there in ukraine firsthand is something i would wish on, on nobody uh we we got into ukraine because of, of a leader in ukraine who was a former member of the parliament a friend of mine reached out to me i i was in slovakia having meetings with the leadership the prime minister and so forth talking about dependencies on russian energy and the need to get lethal aid into Ukraine. Right. And then this this invite came when I was in Slovakia. So I flew to Krakow, Poland. I met this Ukrainian friend. He took us to the border in a car. We walked across the border at night and then took a car to Lviv, got on a train. The train trip to Kyiv varied depending on missile activity. We got to Kyiv nine hours later and then were taken to Bucha, which is where these atrocities were committed. Dave, it's a very you know, fresh war zone. There's still uh, Russian tanks strewn, destroyed tanks strewn everywhere, Russian armored vehicles. I, I saw a Russian armored vehicle that had still had a, a Russian soldier, the charred remains of a Russian soldier still in it. Wow. Uh, you saw uh, civilians um, in these you know, villages, their vehicles have been shot up and then burned, destroyed by the Russians. You just can't imagine a Ukrainian family perhaps a mother and a father with their children and, and brutally murdered by the Russians. That yeah. wreckage is strewn everywhere.
0: Yeah and, and when, try- and, and, yeah. and Senator, when you were, you know, you, you talk about you, you walk across and you're in Lviv and it's the middle of the night. And then you get to the cave. When you get to, to Bucha, I mean, you're, you're driving around, you're seeing all the war zone all around you and you get to this spot. I mean, did you even expect to see what you saw? Were you surprised at it all? I didn't. I don't think you can prepare uh,
1: for what what I saw there. Uh, walking right up to these shallow graves, where literally hundreds hundreds of members of this innocent community were buried uh, in these black bags. Uh, these are not uh, soldiers. These are civilians. And, in fact, there were predominantly women, huh. and there were even children there. We saw the smaller bags being pulled out of children. And, and digging. you know, we're parents of four children. We have three grandchildren. Ukraine, in many ways, is like Montana. It's an agricultural state, big, wide-open wheat fields. Uh, it, it just it brings it pretty close to home, thinking these could be our grandkids, our children, that could have been brutally murdered yeah. by the Russians.
0: And you saw not just body bags— I mean, you, you you saw actual bodies, didn't you?
1: We did. Um, the stench of death was something that um, you know it was just uh, repulsive. It's uh, I had to put my hand over my nose, lift my jacket up over my nose. Uh, they actually unzipped some of the bags there as they were doing forensic investigations. They had tents set up right next to the the trenches. Where they had war crimes investigators from around the world i know the french were there They're, they have certain expertise in these kind of investigations and they opened up some of the bags dave so they could see you know bodies of uh of uh of innocents, and you could see the wounds you know bullet wounds in the back of a head in the back and these people were brutally executed they were murdered by uh, these Russian soldiers.
0: You talk about investigations. I mean, you, you saw these. So I, I assume you no doubt believe that war crimes were committed. How, how? I know that people investigate all this. How How does that go? How, how do you get to the point where you can actually try to deal with that in court?
1: Well, there, there's two courts, David, we wanted to be helpful too one's the court of public and world opinion the other would be certainly a process of of war crimes at the hague Um, i took uh, lots of photographs on my my smartphone and we got those out to media they were uh, broadcast around the world on cnn on fox oh yeah uh, on on multiple networks
0: i see the, the body bags a shoe you were holding a, a a wooden toy right that you found in all this rubble yeah,
1: i found a found a child's toy on a pile of rubble uh, that in you know, one moment that child was playing with perhaps with a mother or a grandmother the next moment uh, killed and the the toy was on top of the rubble so the evidence is irrefutable it's indisputable and and i would also we picked up there uh, in Bucha, and one of the police officers of the Bucha community came to me, and he had this little red book. Just it, it was about maybe two inches by three inches, maybe about a half inch in thickness. And they found this in one of the homes that the Russian soldiers had occupied, because what the soldiers did is they would take the the um, the, mem- the members of the community and they'd either kill them or throw them outside and they would occupy their homes. So they had a place to stay while they were involved in this, in this war. And they mistakenly left behind these little red books that had the names in detail of the soldiers that participated in this, their dates of birth. And then it had the names of their parents and their dates of birth. It was a very meticulous huh. documented record of who was actually there so the Ukrainians have that for part of their prosecution for war crimes. But here's a sad, sad, and terrible fact: Vladimir Putin actually gave commendation to this particular unit that brutally murdered these innocent civilians in Ukraine. He was commending what they did while well, I was seeing the atrocities that were actually committed.
0: You think someday Putin will go
1: on war crimes trial? I hope so. Um, I. Uh, he needs to be held accountable for this. And if if there's been a, a silver lining in this dark cloud of the war in Ukraine, it's that Vladimir Putin has united the world in virtually in opposition to Ukraine, certainly united Europe and the Western world uh, in their opposition with their economic sanctions and so forth. Uh, he's done more to strengthen nato than any russian leader in the history of uh of the soviet union russia
0: but there's no no let up to it obviously uh the other day Russia's foreign minister, uh, Senator, you probably heard this, he warned that this conflict could go nuclear, claiming it, it's Ukraine somehow provoking World War Three. But, but the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, says, now, it's Russia that's posing the nuclear threat. And I want you to hear what he said. And it's not just the threat of, of nuclear weapons here. Today,
1: they have launched three missiles against Ukraine in a way that it flew directly over our three nuclear plants.
0: So... How worried are you that something could go horribly wrong that takes this war to an even far worse place?
1: Well, it's something to be worried about and to uh, be prudent as we think about our strategies and tactics um, in in regards to the Ukrainians. Uh, I don't think we should put U.S. troops in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think we should enforce a no-fly zone because either of those options will put us forces potentially in direct conflict with Russian forces and that is escalatory okay but P- Putin is very reckless as you just mentioned on that clip he's he's got missiles flying right over the tops of nuclear reactors which would creates that's frightening you know, hit. it is frightening and of course uh, they're they're one of the major nuclear powers of the world in their own you know in Montana we have um, Uh, we're proud of the fact we have many of our icbms or intercontinental ballistic missiles in montana it's a very important part of our deterrent force to prevent a nuclear war but uh, i i am uh, you know concerned but at the same time we can't always wake up every morning worried about vladimir putin have vladimir putin living inside our heads when we've got to provide the lethal aid to ukraine and allow them to win this war and putin will escalate with some of this rhetoric that's, that's kind of typical Russian military doctrine to escalate, de- escalate in terms of rhetoric. And uh, we can't back down in our support for Ukraine and speeding up the lethal aid because at the end of the day, Dave, this humanitarian crisis, these war crimes that are going on as we speak. And you know, what I saw in Bucha is happening as we speak in Mariupol and other parts of Eastern and Southern Ukraine. These crimes won't stop. The humanitarian crisis won't end until the war ends. This war is not going to end until the Ukrainians win the war.
0: You went there with Congresswoman Victoria Sparks. Now, we've had her on the podcast a couple of times. She's an Indiana Republican, but she was born in Ukraine when it was part of the Soviet Union. What was it like being there with her? I mean, it's all her own grandmother's been trapped in one of these cities. She's 95 years old and has been trapped and living in a basement of a burn, you know, blown out area. I mean, that had to be really something.
1: Well, it was um, I mean, it was a, a privilege for me to not only be the guest of the Ukrainian authorities and leaders, but to be walking alongside with uh, with Representative Sparks. Of course, she's fluent in it's her native language. Right. And, and incidentally, you know, as, as I was chatting with her as we we're going to these villages, it, it was emotional for both of us. But clearly when this is this is the area where she grew up, her family is from that general area of Ukraine. So it's very close to home for her, literally, as we were seeing the rubble, the destruction of innocent Romanians. We were in Bucha. The mayor of Bucha came by the the gravesite and in the through an interpreter, I was told he wanted to take us to his house. So representative sparks and i then got in a vehicle and we were driven to his home maybe um, a half a mile away and i thought we were going to see his house in fact he said we were going to have lunch together Uh when we showed up at his house it was completely destroyed by the russians no his two vehicles that he had in the garage were burned to a crisp the the uh, tracks from the russian tanks that had surrounded his house and destroyed it, where still the sod his grass and his yard. He had a beautiful yard destroyed by the Russian um, tracks of the tanks, and then his house had virtually leveled. It was a horrific sight, and he wanted us to see that. And he is lucky to be alive because he told us the Russians came to him and asked if this was was the mayor's house. He said, it is the mayor's house. They said, are you the mayor? And he said, no. And then a radio... A uh, radio uh, request came to one of the Russian soldiers, and he quickly had to scramble to go somewhere else. Otherwise, I think the Marabucha would have been executed probably on the spot. Uh. And then we went about three doors down from his home in his village, and we had lunch with a friend of his because his home wasn't destroyed. But this shows an example of, again, the terror and the evil of those soldiers, what they did to the people.
0: Last question. I know you're on uh, Energy and Natural Resources Committee for the, you know, in in, in the Senate. And what's happened, of course, is there has been a big repercussion in the oil and gas industry. Big inflation here, of course, in pricing. What do you think this is going to do long term?
1: Well, when I was in Germany a month ago, uh, we had dinner at the U.S. Embassy there, our ambassador. We had members of the the Bundestag, the, the German members of parliament. And th- they said something, the fact that, that February 24th was their 9-11. Oh. This was a wake-up call to Europe about what's going on, not only in terms of intentions of Russia and the fact that we need moral clarity on good versus evil, and they're, now they're upping their NATO spending because the Russians have, have shown their true colors. But it's also a wake-up call on energy because energy security equals national security. And Putin has weaponized energy. He's created these dependencies on oil and gas for Europe, which are very, very dangerous now for Europe. And they're in a difficult position. He's got them over the barrel, literally, uh, because of Europe's complacency, their their rush towards green energy solutions of more wind and more solar, shutting down coal plants, shutting down nuclear plants even in, in, in Europe, has put them in a very, very difficult position so i think that has important implications for the united states that we we learn from the mistakes of the europeans and let's expand our energy portfolio with renewables but not replace our existing fossil fuels until we have a sustainable source of energy the right, the europeans don't have that right now and they're in a world of hurt and and i think when you saw president biden kill the keystone pipeline the first day of his administration stopping oil and gas leasing on federal lands that sent a message to Vladimir Putin. I think that was part of empowering Putin because he's using energy as a strategic weapon.
0: Senator Steve Daines, Republican from Montana. Thank you very much for joining us.
1: Dave, thanks for having me.
0: Senator, that was great. I really appreciate your time. Hey, thank you, Dave. You do a great job. Thanks very much. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, Talk to you soon, maybe. Thank you. We hope uh, anyway. You betcha. Yes, thank uh-huh. you. Bye-bye. <laughs> You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.